a top of the teeth. <laughs> what is it? Top of the teeth. Top of the teeth. Tongue and the lips. Tongue and the lips. <laughs> you don't have to like over move your oh, okay. jaw. Top, top of, the, of teeth, the teeth. Tongue, tongue and, and the lips. lips. It's like to get your um tongue going. Okay. Yeah. Because I have a lot of tongue tension. Do you? Did you know that I didn't about know that. me? I didn't know mm. that about you. Well, now you know. Excellent. Hello, Ruth. Hello, Josephine. How are you today? Yeah, not too bad. How are you? I am well. I'm tired and well. Yes. Working is hard. It is hard. <laughs> I am still working only half time. Oh, is I it think, nice? Um, it's amazing how the day gets filled. Yeah. Does it? Do you find it goes really quickly the day? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like for the afternoon, I can just do whatever. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, it's Have amazing though how still like stressful it is. Like it's like you'd think that only working half time would mean like there was half the amount of work stress, but there's not. No, well, it's like that fallacy that if you like work part time, that you have the rest of the time yeah. to yourself. But you're just doing a full time job in less time, right? I know. Yeah, yeah. Well, <sighs> it's not as busy, obviously, at the moment. No, but it's more just that every conversation is stressful because we're like, will our industry ever recover from this? Oh, God. <laughs> and do you know the answer to that yet? No, we don't know whether the industry will depends. recover. I think it all depends how quickly we eradicate the disease how we're able to like I think the worst thing that could happen is if it, it opens up but then somewhere like Broadway or the West End that there is like an outbreak like yeah. someone at the theater catches COVID from someone else at the theater and then we'll be that would be pretty devastating longer. that yeah. would be pretty devastating yeah it's just so hard to and obviously like it's it's more important to be cautious than to rush into anything yeah. like no one ever regretted being too cautious right so yeah yeah okay. yeah and of course, like, will what government support will there be yeah. in the meantime? Yeah. You know, I think about like if shows don't start up until next year, like we could be in a situation where a huge amount of people will have had like a full year of Without no work. work. Yeah, which is insane. Well, I think about like performers. Mm, that's right. What What are they doing? I are guess they, they, okay? they move home. I think oh, that's honestly. I know a lot of people have had to move home. Yeah, that's hard. It's awful. Oh gosh. Yeah. Um. So, do you have any news of the week, Ruth? Uh, I do have an apology hour. Ooh. Mm. What so, is it? Uh, just uh, flashing back to our 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee episode. Yes. Uh, my mother-in-law listened to it. <laughs> and, uh, I she, love your mother-in-law. She, Beverly, she texted me to say that, in fact, we did get something slightly wrong. Yes. We said that spelling bees weren't such a big thing in Australia, but apparently in our state, in New South Wales, yeah. It is quite a, in primary schools, so like the oh. Australian equivalent of elementary schools, yeah. that um, it is quite a big deal and there's a, a statewide competition and the finals are broadcast on ABC and Richard Glover, you know, hosts part oh, of the really? finals and this sort of thing and is it is a, quite a big deal. Is that deal. a new thing or – because I don't remember I mean, that when I was at school. I mean, it certainly wasn't like that when we were at school, no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, but, yes, yeah, so apologies thank you, for the uh, – yes, thank you, Beverly. The uh, Gross primary misinformation. school <laughs> – 
<laughs> we didn't recognise that spelling bee fact. That's actually really cool. Mm, I think so too. I, I do love I'm glad that bees. that exists. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Spelling's important. For word nerds like us when we were children. <laughs> word nerds. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah, that's a good phrase. Yeah. Um, oh, do I have any apologies? Oh, I have a mini apology. We were talking about briefly about monologues and the New South Wales HS, HSC mm. and I mentioned that monologues should be like 10 to 12 minutes yeah. and I did correct myself in the in the episode but you were talking at the same time oh, okay so it may not have been heard but it's not true monologues need to be six to eight minutes in the New South Wales HSC this is very Has that niche changed information since we were kids? no it's always been six to eight minutes but the group performances 10 to 12 oh, maybe that's what yeah yeah so I am aware I, I'm aware that I'm a high school drama teacher I was gonna I say did you that. have students that corrected you well no like I literally as I said it corrected myself and yeah. then as I was listening back to the episode as I do I was like I was oh too, no it's not I was clear. too loud no, never. You're never too loud. <laughs> Ruth, stop it. Um, so here's my thing, ready? Yes. I thought we should start highlighting people of colour in musical theatre for their contribution and work in that Absolutely. sphere. I think I definitely know that it's not enough, um, It's, but it's certainly something that we can do in the context of this podcast. Um, and as like as two white women, I think we completely appreciate that we need to listen more and amplify black stories rather than just perpetuating our own rhetoric. So we wholeheartedly support Black Lives Matter and and we're still learning and constantly trying to uh, change and check ourselves and we're, you know, trying to be constantly aware of our own privilege. Um, So this is maybe maybe something that we can do. What do you reckon? Yeah, definitely. And I think that the more that we can you know, we're sort of very specifically talking about the world of musical theatre here. Obviously, yes. um, we're all very concerned about it on a global scale as well. But it's like, if this is our little corner of the world, like, what can we do to help there? Yeah. yeah. And I also appreciate that if you're listening to this podcast, you probably just want to hear about musical theatre. So here's a way we, we're going to briefly talk about some um, important black people in musical theatre. But please go and educate yourself broader, you know, go yeah. read some books and... Um, I'm actually in the middle of reading, um, what is it called? White Fragility. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. So, yep. Yeah. And I've heard there's some um, some great podcasts out there, you know, Heaps since we're ones. in the 1619, which I think the New York Times does. Yeah. Um, there's a bunch that I've saved that I'm, I'm, you know, so keen to listen to. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yep. I mean, we, we all need Code to do switch better. Code Switch is an NPR one, I think. I've heard. I've, I do I, love I, NPR. I've saved a whole bunch to listen to. Okay, cool. Yeah. So we're, we're working on it and um, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, today yes. I thought we would spotlight, well, I'm going to spotlight the uber-talented Kirsten Childs. Yep. So I did my research and I have never come across her work before. Mm which I'm very embarrassed about for many reasons and, yeah. and I'm just going to blame myself here. What I discovered is that Kirsten Childs is a former performer, she's a playwright, a librettist who has written multiple musicals. Yeah. So when I actually spoke about Hades Town in like our second episode, I mm. think, I mentioned that it was really rare that Anais Mitchell had been like the writer, the composer and the lyricist of yeah. Hades Town, but actually Kirsten Childs has written all three for multiple shows. Yeah, right. Yeah, and so she was like, she wrote this musical called The Bubbly Black Girl Sheds Her Chameleon Skin. Yeah, so that's, I've heard of that show. So have I. Yeah, and it, 
had it did it was it off Broadway again recently? Yeah, so oh, I don't know if it had a revival, but it was off Broadway then. Yeah. So it, it, it won an Obie Award, for yes. example. Yeah. And it got an off Broadway run. Um she wrote Miracle Brothers, she wrote Funked Up Fairy Tales, and this one that I'm actually super in love with, which is called Bella, an American Tall Tale. Okay. Um, which is from 2016 and it won the Western Playhouse New Musical Award. Wow. I actually think so this week I was researching her and I started listening. You can mm. listen to the cast recording of of Bella and American Tall Tale on Spotify. And oh, I think okay. it, it might actually make it to one of our wow. episodes. Like you're really into it. Oh my gosh, the music is just stunning. Oh, I'll definitely and listen. I was watching some clips on YouTube. The choreography is um is just stunning. It's done by um Camille A. Brown. Oh yeah. And the whole show is just like, it's an excellent premise. Basically, like, I fall in love with the musical. We'll link to Bella in our show notes yes. as well, the, the Spotify cast album. Yeah, and also, like, I, I will definitely cover it in a future episode because I really fell in love with it. So stay tuned about that. Yeah. So, yeah, that's Kirsten Childs. Amazing. I highly recommend you check her Do out. Do you think the reason you hadn't heard of her was because, like, none of her shows had made it to Broadway? I I don't know. And mm. I don't know why they haven't made it to Broadway to begin with. But I also do think, like... Broadway, as we've talked about, is a, a white person's game yeah. and we just don't appreciate enough the contribution of, of people of colour. Yeah, exactly. So that's on me. Um, I'm hoping to change that. Yeah, I would say that the biggest thing I've realised um, in thinking about this issue, specifically in when we're talking about the musical theatre world, is that, yes, there are certain um, artists of colour that may have made it to, say, off-Broadway or had these, you know, regional experiences and things like Mm. this, but it's like that next echelon of um, the real commercial world of Broadway, which is obviously where then leads to licensing, leads to all these things. Like that's where the money is. That's when you can make your living Mm. as an artist. Um, It's a closed door. It's a closed door and not just that, but it's that thing of, yeah, it's like, okay, so this unknown artist, may not have had their show transferred to Broadway, but it's like how many bland white men get that oh. opportunity? Like all the time. All the time. <laughs> Too many. Yeah. And it's like why why are those the ones we're taking chances on? Yeah. It's yeah. so true. Yeah. Um, so mine's slightly different. I uh, What I did was I came across this tweet this week and I, I follow this girl on um, – on Twitter, her name's Casey Mink, and she writes for Vulture amongst um, – sorry, backstage, she used to write for Vulture. Um, she's the senior staff writer at Vulture and she is sort of their main um, theatre writer. I think she does do some reviews for them sometimes, but she's got really great commentary in general about the oh, theatre, like very sort of feminist and astute. And, yeah, yeah, she's she, on topic, She yeah. always highlights like – Great, another Gaps. entire season without a female playwright in it, you know, or whatever, yeah. um, uh, which happens all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and so, you know, it was it was due to be the Tony Awards um, quite recently yeah. is the is the weekend when the Tony Awards would have been held had they not been postponed this year. And so, um, yeah, instead, her thing was I'm going to basically write this uh, Twitter thread about representation by the Tony Awards of black artists. And I just thought I would sort of discuss that quickly. Yeah. So basically she says, I've spent a lot of time criticizing the Tony Awards for their sexism and not nearly enough time criticizing their racism. So today on what would have been the ceremony's 74th, let's take a closer look. Starting with Book of a Musical, it'll be real quick since there is only one black person who has ever won this award. Morgan Stu Stewart won in 2008 for Passing Strange. Surely score will be better, right? 
Very wrong. Only one black person has won that award too, Charlie Smalls for The Wiz in 1975. When it comes to the direction of a musical, two black people have won. Jeffrey Holder, also for The Wiz, and George C. Wolfe for Bring Into Noise, Bring Into Funk in 1996. For direction of a play, Lloyd Richards Richards won for Fences in 1987, George C. Wolfe won again for Angels in America Millennium Approaches in 1993, and Kenny Leon won for 2014's A Raisin in the Sun. Finally, two black playwrights have won Tony Awards for Best Play, Joseph A. Walker for The River Niger in 1974 and August Wilson also for Fences in 1987. So, yeah, a black playwright has not won a Best Play Tony in 33 years. Crucially, there is not one single black woman on this list, not Mm -hmm. one, proving what is now and has always been true. Broadway has been most unwelcoming of women of colour. And she says, as a white person who covers theatre, I must hold myself accountable for calling out the systemic racism that is foundational in our industry. Mm -hmm. I need to do better. Black Lives Matter, and I can't imagine what theatre would be without them. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Man, do yeah. I support every word of that. Exactly. And, of course, a bunch of facts that I didn't know. Yes. And well, even, like, if you, like, there was a, I think it was George C. Floyd was mentioned twice. Yeah, so George like, C. Wolf. yeah. Sorry, Wolf. I'm so sorry. Um, so, like, what? Anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, like, there are these few artists, um, and, of course, we're also talking about, except maybe for the case of Angels in America, like a lot of these plays are so specifically, or musicals are so specific about the African-American experience as yes. well. So it's like we haven't even crossed that point where it's like you can be an African-American director who is hired just to do any play. Yes. And it has to be, oh, it has to be a black play that That's they get right. hired for, it That's seems exactly like. right. Well, I mean, because I think of the classic example of, say, Once on this Island, yeah. that was just like written by two white yeah. people yeah. like and so it's it's perfectly okay for that to happen and I really love Once on this Island yeah. but so it's okay for white people to tell stories that aren't yes. perhaps happens white all stories the time. happens all the time but yeah conversely we can't have we can't have like a crossing over of stories like we can't yeah. uh, anyway. and in the same way it's like obviously not nearly as many but there's been quite a few people of color performers who've won awards because yes as we have started to work more towards equity in terms of um, performance opportunities and we rely on people of colour to fill the people of colour roles, right? Um, It's kind of, but that's it. Like it's not, and and those shows are still being written by white people and the creative teams are full full of white people. Yeah, It's just not, it's not okay. No, it's not okay. It's really not okay. So, yeah. Look, this, I I think we should make this a permanent um, spot on our podcast. Yeah. So, yeah, Black Lives Matter. Yeah, and if nothing else, it's forcing, you know, it's like we're going to find this stuff so we can recommend it to you. And then hopefully you will listen. Exactly, and, and recommend and it to other people. And, yeah. yeah, let's get it known. Yeah. Okay, um, Okay. next segment, Theatre Explained. Ooh. Last week we talked about, what did we talk about? Um, previews? Previews, yeah. So today I want to talk about what is a review and yep. like what is a song cycle? Review, R-E-V-U-E, that review? Correct. So yeah. not like when a, th- a critic writes a review of a show, it's R-E-V-U-E. Like a type, like a, yeah, literally so a, a type of show. It's a type of show. So we've spoken about reviews a couple of times and I think we just assume everyone knows, but you might not. Yeah. So my understanding of a review, Ruth, you can correct me, is that it's pretty much like a multi-act sort of piece of theatre. It's usually satire, generally, sometimes not, and it includes like sketches, music, dancing. That's my understanding of a review. Yeah. What do you reckon? That's very true. And I think so, you know, some people might know like if you go to college or university that your university might have done a review. Yeah. And that tends to be 
parodies of things yes. and common songs. I think the thing that gets a bit confusing with musical theatre is people often refer to a review when it's also um, a sketches don't always have to be in it. They always used to be. Like when yes. we talked about O Calcutta a little while ago, that like had that, sketches. that had sketches and that was quite a common type of show, mm. especially back like in like World War II days kind of thing. Yeah. That was a really common type of show. So what started to happen over the years um, when we talk about theatre is that you might consider something a review when it's, say, a number of songs all written by the same artist, say. So like we've mentioned Putting It Together is yeah. a, a, a show that is all Sondheim songs, yeah. right? There's lots of those. There's, an, there's also side by side by Sondheim, which is another um, one that's Sondheim songs. There's the world and the world goes round. There's a Candor and Ebb one. And so really, they're like almost the songs out of the show's context. Yes, put exactly. into a new context. Put into a new context. Yes. and as one show, and that is often also referred to as a review. Yes. So what gets confusing is that there's also this term song cycle, mm. which uh, some people might be familiar with, and um, that is the reason it's confusing is because. Basically, the definition of a song cycle is like a series of songs around a central theme. Yes. So a really great example that some people might be aware of is Songs for a New World by Jason Robert Brown, where all those songs are kind of written around the same theme, mm. but they're not, they aren't, there's no story. They're not playing characters within that story. But conversely, they're also not songs that have been taken from other contexts and yes. put in that show. So it is different to a review in that sense. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I think, for example, I think it's Closer Than Ever that's by um, Maltby and Shire. Oh, yes, yes. A lot of people refer to that as a review and not a song cycle. But that would be a song cycle to me. I think now it probably would be referred to as a song cycle. Well, I I think maybe maybe because the the review has evolved. Yes, and I think you because like the reviews that I've seen, for example, are not necessarily music theatre. Yeah, so like we go and see the Wharf review yes, down in Sydney, exactly. and that and that's like political satire yep. with singing in it. Usually, songs that are taken from other musicals that are well known for like a political purpose, social yes. commentary purpose. But there, in terms of musical theatre, reviews are more like well known songs from well known shows taken out of that context into like a more palatable little yeah, concert almost. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But song cycles are generally like they're written to be a song cycle. Yes. Yeah. Myths and Hymns is another Myths one and hymns, that Adam um, Gettle. Elegy? Elegies? Elegies, yeah, by William I Finn. I love Elegies. It's a beautiful show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lots of those yeah. where it's it's – there's, they're not intended for there to be dialogue, for there to yeah. be anything in between. It's just a series of songs written around a central theme. Mm. Yeah. 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 So yeah. that's reviews and song cycles. Thank you. No worries. This has been Theatre Explained. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have any recommendations this week? I do. I've got a couple. Um, so I've picked a, picked a book out. Uh, a book in out. fact, there's, this is, there's book three out. volumes of this <laughs> book. Uh, it, they're called The Untold Stories of Broadway. Um, and well, they're not untold, are they? <laughs> basically, um, Jennifer Ashley Tepper, who's the director of programming at 54 Below, mm-hmm. she wrote these and what she did was she conducted a whole bunch of interviews and it's all kind of like an oral history in a way of all these Broadway theatres. Yeah. And so every book, every book is, say, like, I don't know, eight theatres or whatever and it's done by theatre by theatre with a bunch of stories about that theatre. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and it's like everyone from like the box office person to, you know, um, Hal Prince. Like yeah. it's like everyone in between. So Do performers and backstage niche? people. Uh, if you like theatre, you will love it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it's not too niche for the people listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> They're great. You can get them on Kindle or yeah, buy cool. the books. Um, she's working on volume four at the moment. And, yeah, they're great books. So that's a book. I have a couple. Uh, just a TV show. I don't. If people haven't seen um, Fosse Verdon, 
Oh, yeah. Um, which is the story of Bob Fosse and Gwen Verdon. Uh, Do you know I got into a YouTube, like, hole of watching, like, clips from Damn Yankees. Oh, yes. Because I just love their way they dance. Yeah, and, uh, I just incredible. Love Bob Fosse and, yeah. Um, and Michelle Williams plays Gwen Verdon. I think she won the Emmy or Golden Globe or something yeah, like I think that. She, she won too. an award. Yeah. 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 Um, and um, who played Bob Fosse? Sam. Um, um, Sam Rockwell. Oh, I love Sam Rockwell. He's such a good actor. He is so good. Yeah. How good was he in Three Billboards? So I, I've got a great little thing I read about that. Tell is me. that on like the New York Times review of Three Billboards, um, there was like all these comments and this guy had written like, yes, I really enjoyed this film. My son, Sam, and it was like his dad oh had like gosh. commented actually, on like the New York Times review. I think review. Sam Rockwell actually tweeted that. Yeah. Because So we love him and this is a shout out to Shane and my brother Nick. We love him in the film The Way Way Back. Oh, yes, you've told me about this film. I haven't seen it. I don't know how more people don't know about this film. Go and watch The Way Way Back. It is so bloody good. Yeah. So good. Steve Carell, Tony Collette, um, Alice and Jenny, my all-time favourite woman ever. Yeah. Sorry, Ruth. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, I have to compete with Alice and Jenny. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck, anyone. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, that was the same Rockwell. Yeah, so um, they're both in it and they're excellent and it's, it's a really great, interest if you like theater you'll like it there's so much like kind of insider stuff in it yeah uh, and also their relationship is fascinating fascinating yeah yeah Yeah. um so i think it's on in australia it's only on foxtel stupid pay tv don't don't buy that don't get Foxtel. (laughs) just download it illegally yeah yeah yeah. you could probably get it on itunes actually and then one more is just a documentary um and it's called broadway idiot if you haven't seen it, and it is a documentary about American Idiot, the musical oh, yeah. kind of like, like the Day. making of the Green Day musical American Idiot. And I'm definitely not going to watch that. Okay, you have to watch it because you love documentaries. I do. I don't care if you don't like the show or Green Day. Right. Um, it is really what I love about it mm-hmm. is that it sort of tracks the time in which – so Billy Joe Armstrong obviously was from Green Day was very involved in the creation of the show but also at some point during the run he joined the cast yeah. and um, to play St. Uh, Jimmy and um, – what you see is because Green Day have been together since they were like teenagers. Forever. Like they were yeah. really young. And so I get the feeling that he's not really had an opportunity as an adult to just like organically make friends with people Aww. because he's been a, a rock star his whole life, right? Yeah. And so what you see in that way that you know that thing where someone has never been involved in theatre and then you see them fall in love with theatre? Oh, you yeah. see this happen in this documentary. Well, that's because nice. if you're in a show together, you just like – it's like not we're all going to see nuts and bolts of each other, like yeah. you know, and it just and they become you could become a little family, right? Like every show you do, even if it's dysfunctional, you become a little family. So like, true. And and you literally see that happen on screen. I love this documentary. I okay, definitely gonna, think you should watch well, it. Well, after that, I'm definitely going to watch yeah, it. Yeah, I love it, and I don't care. And I've seen um, American Idiot as a show. I didn't see it on Broadway, but I saw it in London, yeah. and it's not my favorite. No. But I can appreciate. I think it's still a great documentary, even if you don't love that show. I will watch it. Yeah, I it's fantastic. Will. Where can you find it? That's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, she can only take you so far. What more do you want from her? I don't even know where I watched it originally, but I've just I've got like my list of like Ugh, Broadway funny. documentaries that I've seen. Well, so that is a good segue from my only recommendation. And yep. it's not really a recommendation. Like I don't want you to run off and do this, but um, I'm a part of a Facebook group that is just changing my life. And it reminds me of this experience yes. that you're talking about. The group is called um, a group where we all pretend to be part of the same performance. Yeah. 
And it's just making me very happy. It's basically now it's just exploded. It's all these like. There's like 13,000 yeah. people in this Facebook group now. It really was just like, I think it was just a group of performers in Queensland who created this group. Yeah. Just to, because obviously in isolation, no one is in in a show in at the moment. Show, so yeah. it's just like a cast Facebook page of a, of a production. And when you go on there, it's all the same experiences, the same types of people and the same comments that, it, yeah. Anyway. I think if you've. If you've, if you've ever, ever been, been in, in a show, show. <laughs> and there's a Facebook group for every show that gets created yeah, and, yeah. and obviously this experience is so universal and oh. I don't think anyone in the group realised how universal it was until they were on the group. Yeah, and suddenly so, you, for example, like I posted this post which was like um, – I can't believe that you know who you are. You keep dancing in front of me at the Act 2 opening. And, yeah. And all these people commented like obviously it's a universal sort of post. Yeah. That, anyway, it's just a delightful group and it's making me really happy. Every now and then someone will just post like, I'm here, let me in. Yeah, or like, just like, guys, I left my water bottle yeah. at the rehearsal. <laughs> It's so delightful. And I imagine like all over the world, like even if you're doing like high school shows, it, it's all it's the same. It's still relevant. It's yeah. all the same. Yeah. There's lots of even professional um, musical theatre performers yeah, in there. And they're all and they all feel the same way as well. I like know. I'm sure there's differences, but it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty funny. It's very cute. Anyway, it's yeah. been bringing me joy. It has. Yes, me too. All right. Can I tell you about a musical? Yes. Let's do it. Ruth, today, it's Little Women. Ooh. I know, right? Here, Love it. Here, here we go. So... I adore the um, Louisa May Alcott semi-autobiographical novel of the same name. Just so everyone knows, Josephine's like a massive nerd when it comes to like... Literature. Literature. Yes. So I'm, not to toot my own horn, I'm incredibly well read of classics. Like there's no classic that has not been read by me. And so Little Women is sort of one that was a really good entry point as a very young, young person. Like I think I was maybe in year two or year three when I first read it. (laughs) Such a like humble brag. (laughs) (laughs) I think I was in year two or three when I read Louisa May Alcott's Little Women. (laughs) I love that. Have you met me, Ruth? Yes. But so I love Little Women. I I just assume so I'm gonna assume that most people are familiar with it and or at least know that it exists. I think I was just always going to love the show, the musical Little Women, simply because it's Little Women. Like I, I think I was always destined to love it, but when I first listened to it, I was 16 years old and it was like groundbreaking for mm. little baby Josephine. It really was yeah. like it's a it's an incredibly powerful female story and they're singing songs that fit in my range. Like it was just <laughs> <laughs> it was just like a perfect storm of yeah. love that happened at the time. So that's little women. Okay, plot you really should know the plot of little women, but basically it's like a story about four like fairly poor sisters. Um, it's actually like a similar sort of family situation to the Bennetts in Pride and Prejudice. Um, and it's sort of like their late childhood, like early young adulthood um, in Concord, Massachusetts. During the Civil War, that's it. Like ugh, Josephine March is the main, she's the focus, Jo March. Um, she wants to be a writer. She's quite fiery, she's passionate, she's stubborn. Um, she's a feminist. It's awesome. If you want more plot detail, I suggest you go and watch the Greta Gerwig film version. <laughs> Josephine and I saw it at the movies together the day it came out. That was a delightful day. It was a delightful day. That wasn't day. the only time I saw it at the cinema. No. Either. We nerded out hard. It was it was perfect. So yeah. I, I used to love the Winona Rada yes. version from back in the day. And I, I would actually say that this musical is – is the musical version of that that like fluffy nineties Little Women okay. movie? Yeah, like I would say this musical is that, whereas the Greta Gerwig film just felt more real. It felt more raw and more like immediate yeah. or something. It didn't have that like 
those like rounded edges, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's the story. Go watch the film if you don't know it. Um, it's or great read the film. book. <laughs> yeah. You can read the book. You can read. I've never read the book. Oh, have oh, you? Oh, maybe. And when, I don't know. Maybe oh, when right. I was younger. Not I don't remember it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that's all right. <laughs> I'm okay with that. So development of the show, the original concept for the musical was actually um, – and a Richard Rogers Development Award-winning project ah, cool. in 1998. Yeah. So, like, the Richard Rogers Foundation sort of, like, has this yearly competition yeah. where, like, new musicals can submit. So this this concept sort of won the award in, in 1998. It had been in development for years by the lyricist Alison Hubbard and composer Kim Ola. Then this producer, Randall Reggett, he basically, like, chucked them off. Oh, like wow. The, the original writers and replace them with Jason Howland and Mindy Dick Stein. Okay. I think, it's, I think it's Stein. Anyway, um, apparently none of the original material developed by Hubbard and Ola were ever used. And um, the original book writer, Alan Nee, he stayed with the production. But the producer said, like, the original writers couldn't take the show where it needed to go. Right. Harsh. Also, like... Surely, like it's obviously out of um, copyright, right? Yeah, so it's in public domain. In public domain, the, I, like the, the yeah, show. like the concept of turning Little Women to a musical. Yes, correct. So it's sort of an odd thing to go. I'm going to keep this project. Maybe he liked the script. I'm guessing that's what it well, was because he kept the like the script writer. Yeah, but he just got rid of the composer and the lyricist. Yeah, which is sort of yeah, just weird. And I think, like, I think the original, like, Alison Hubbard and Kim Oller, I think they sort of took their songs and, like, went off and did something else with okay. it. Okay. I don't know much more about that. Yeah. And it was actually hard to find information about it. Yeah. Um, so, basically, because of this replacement and because, like, the producer had already, like, set the ball in motion, Howlin and Dick Stein had to, like, create a brand new score in, like, four months Oh, my goodness. Because, like, shit had been organised. Wow. And it was just like, okay, they just had to get it together. And I think – once you know that, it is sort of reflective in some elements of mm, the show. Interesting. Like I think some of the some of my biggest complaints with it are that it feels rushed. Yeah. So that's just a little bit of background. So after a couple of workshops at Duke University, previewed at the Virginia Theatre on Broadway with 55 previews and it opened proper in January 2005. Mm. It only ran until May the same year, so that's I knew it was a big flop. Yeah, it, yeah. Was a, it was a pretty serious flop considering that – there were pretty high hopes for the show. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, and like a like a star-studded cast, but yeah, 137 performances, not not that great. So obviously, it received pretty mixed reviews. Yeah, some of the cast were celebrated, but pretty much just Sutton Foster. So yeah. Sutton Foster played Josephine March, the main character, and she just like she's like a shining star. In and Joe is the main character, so there, it makes sense for that person to be like a standout, but. I don't know whether it's a flaw in the actual construction of the of this particular book, but no one else came close to her yeah. in terms of their performance. So, so, I mean, she's amazing. Like, she was nominated for Tony that year yeah. for her performance. It was actually the only Tony nomination for the whole show. Just her performance. Just her performance, right. yeah. So and she didn't win. She didn't win. It was – although, like, that year, that was actually the year of Spamalot – Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, okay. The Light in the Piazza, Spelling Bee. So like, right, that's a strong year. It's yeah. a really strong year. Not that I'm saying that it it, it should have been nominated because I, do, I don't think it should have. Mm. It's one of my favourite musicals but 
probably I don't I don't feel like that you should love it. It's more like a sentimental favorite than it is yeah. objectively. And I find a lot of joy when I listen to the cast recording. I I still derive a lot of joy from it. I've been listening to it this week. So I can still say like, yes, I feel very attached to this, but I don't think everyone should love it. I think that's really important by the way. Oh, because yeah. I think that especially when we're younger, we tend to think that something's invincible just because mm. we love it. Yeah. And it's like no. No, no, like you can recognize why you love something. Yeah. When I eventually talk about the wedding singer, <laughs> that's the conversation we'll be oh, having. Yeah, so true. You know? Yeah, that's a good one. Well, yeah. I also like, I sort of feel the same way about, say, You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, that I spoke mm. about last week. Like that one, I will always love, but I understand if you don't. Like, yeah, yeah. But there are others that, like, Hades Town, if you don't like it, you're probably just shit. Like, you're probably just an <laughs> you idiot. have no taste. Correct. You're tacky and I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, Okay, so otherwise some of my major complaints and major complaints of the critics were that the book was just a bit clunky. Yeah. And when you think about it's the actual story, it's difficult to perform flashbacks on stage. Mm. Like the story flashes back and forward in yeah. time. I, I, that's really hard. So um, I just don't think like these sorts of incredibly popular classic stories work on stage. Yeah. I think expectations are way too high and I think everyone comes to a, sh- a musical like Little Women with their own personal connection and that just maybe it yeah. can never really be it can never really be matched. So, and it's like what we talked about with really popular films being made into musicals yeah. rather than just like obscure films. I yep. think it it doesn't it just rarely works. Yeah. So the New York Times wrote, and I quote, watching this shorthand account of four sisters growing up poor but honest during the Civil War is like speed reading Alcott's evergreen novel. You glean the most salient traits of the principal characters, but without the shading and detail that made these elements feel true to life in the book. Since the characters do not acquire full personalities, you don't feel emotionally invested in them. Mm. And I think like fundamentally that's the issue with this musical. Yeah. And it's probably that everyone comes to the show feeling already very connected to the characters and when they see two-dimensional representations of them, then, yeah. It's also like it's a lot to pack a novel into, yeah. into like what, two, two hours. hours. Show, yeah. yeah. Um, obviously like Sutton Foster was just praised, praised, praised. Um, the New York Times said in the same quote, if Little Women does develop the following of young girls and their mothers as producers have targeted, it will be largely Miss Foster's doing. <laughs> well. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. And here I am. Yes. So the music was really celebrated and it's really pretty. Yes. It's, it's just pretty it's music. It's very easy to listen to. Very easy. Yeah. And so like I would say if you're inter- if this is interesting you, go listen to the cast recording because it is pretty music. It's, it's like – it can be a bit samey, yeah. samey, samey at time, but there are just there are just really beautiful moments in yeah. there. Like, yeah, it's actually written for ten actors, which I think is super cool. Yeah. So throughout, um, Joe, who's like a budding writer, she like um, narrates her, some of her stories, and the actors who are sort of her family members double as characters in her stories. So yeah. ten actors on stage, but there are like eighteen characters overall, and so most most actors double up which I like. And obviously that could be good for small um, music theatre societies, yeah. Um, Other productions of the show, after the Broadway run, there was a US tour that ran through 2005 and 2006. It it went to 30 cities. It was sort of like a moderate success. Yeah. Usually these shows are more successful on On regional tours. Yeah, so it did a bit better on tour than it did on Broadway. It opened on the West End in 2008. didn't last long though. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. 
Mm. It, and actually, it's really hard to find information about that run. Yeah. But there's reference to it in a City Morning Herald article <laughs> about the Australian production. So oh, there was yes. an Australian production produced by the ill-fated Kookaburra, which we've talked about here a couple of times yeah, now. The, um, mostly in the company episode. Yeah, mostly in the company episode. And we'll talk about it if we ever mention Pippin. Um, that was in 2008. It was at the Seymour Centre in Sydney. It was, I don't, I don't know, do, did you see it? Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. It, I mean, it was... I think the problems with that production were the problems with the show. Um, but you know the famous thing about that. No, what? Oh, so something famous. Well, it was because it was sort of towards the end of Kookaburra Yeah, well, it went, it went bust the year after. Okay, so it was like they did it. I remember mum had bought us tickets. Yes. I went with my mum and then about – it must have not been selling well and they just decided to sell the oh rest God, of the tickets for $2, $2 each. Yes. So there were people sitting all around us that had only paid $2 per ticket. God, that shit. It was bizarre. It was such a bizarre decision. But that whole that whole kookaburra thing, everything about it was bizarre. Yes. Yeah. Oh, $2 tickets. $2 tickets. It was such a massive thing at the time. It got them a lot of press, att- press and attention but like not necessarily very positive. Well, also like how much – how much money can you make from? Well, that's it. Like, it's so not you've, like that would have boosted you've covered the covered the printing of the tickets. Like, yeah, shit. <laughs> well, that's it. Yeah. Even like the Seymour Center is not a huge. No, so the theater that? that they are in is, is about that the one in the round. It's almost stage? in the round. Yeah. yeah, it's like a weird space. It's, weird it's like, More like three a thrust. Quarter. Actually, it's really yeah. A it's like a thrust three quarter. It's very yeah. strange, and you look down. Yeah. Um, I think it's what about it be like? 900 seats maybe. Yeah, I would it's, say less than 1,000. It's less than 1,000 but it's bigger than I think it feels. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, I'd agree with that. But that's still hard to fill, particularly with something like this. Like, yeah. It, no one would have known it anyway. So yeah. probably not the best choice. It's actually just really not done very often. Little Women's not done. No. For a whole lot of reasons, I think. It is a small cast, so amateur companies probably aren't really generally attracted to it. Um, it also requires like a, it's pretty demanding on the cast. Yes, like you've got it's to a have big thing. you've got to have an absolute like dynamite of a Joe. Yeah, it's a big thing for everyone, particularly the men, and that makes it tough. Like the male, and there's only a few male characters, but they double up a lot in these stories, and they have really ridiculously high parts oh, really? and yeah. like sort of high belty parts. Okay, so, yeah, it would be a tough ask for just normal like amateur um, musical societies. So, yeah. But Joe March is a big, big sing. And if you're if you're a budding mezzo out there, then take a look at her stuff. Although I'm going to talk about that. <laughs> so some gateway songs. So there's this song in Little Women called Astonishing. It's now pretty much the butt of jokes because it is done by young female belters just. Do you think it still is? It was when we were younger. Yes. I still love this song. I love this song. Yeah. I sang this song. Yeah. <laughs> like there's a, I think there's an Instagram page of like. Of like the Maggie, oh, yes, like yes. Maggie at the ballet. There's like one for just a <laughs> sheer amount of people singing the line Christopher Columbus to, in a yeah. <laughs> To give this some context, some of these like YouTube videos and Instagram accounts <laughs> exist where it's just like supercuts yeah. of people in like community theatre high school productions all over the world just doing like one part from a song. <laughs> like the iconic part from a song. Yeah. Just, yeah. It's, anyway, check and it out. And in this case it's just people saying Christopher, Christopher, Columbus. Christopher Columbus over and over again. <laughs> anyway, um, back when I used to sing it, it was actually still fairly unknown because okay. I happened to like get on the Little Women train very early. Yeah. But check it out. It's an actually beautiful song. It's really nice. I love that song. So 
I reckon though the gateway song should be Some Things Are Meant To Be, which is the duet between Joe and Beth right before Beth dies. Oh, that's really pretty. Oh, spoiler, sorry. Spoiler, Beth dies. Beth dies. (laughs) You should know by now. Yeah. Um, So yeah, definitely check that. I think it's probably the song of the show. You think Some Things Are Meant To Be? I think so. Okay, interesting. Yeah. other great numbers, though, are the opening, which is um, called Operatic Tragedy, which I love, and also Better, which is sort of like Joe's um, I Want song, really. Okay. Yeah. The soundtrack is lovely, but it does highlight some problems that I'd already mentioned, which is really like the first act of the show is quite developed and it's well-rounded, but the songs in the second act just feel a bit bleh. Mm. It just feels like, eh. A bit more time could have been spent here. Yeah, and it just also feels like it takes this. It takes the show a long time to get to the crux of the actual story. Like it's about five songs in before she even meets Laurie. Oh, okay. Which is a bit like yeah, oh, weird, you know. Yeah. But anyway, so I love it. You don't have to love it, but that's Little Women. Amazing. I've only seen it once, I think. Yes. And that was when our friend Zach was in a like an amateur production in Sydney. Were you and, saw were you seen it twice? Oh sorry, I saw a Kookaburra version as well. <laughs> I forgot about the two dollar <laughs> that $2 we, we paid a lot more than two dollars for our tickets. Yeah. Um yeah, so I saw, I saw the Kookaburra version. I saw this version that our friend Zach was in and it what was memorable about it was that the woman playing Joe had gotten sick. Oh no. And um now professional Australian music theatre performer Mon Sale had to step in, shout out to Mon, yeah. um, and be Joe like, on like a couple of days' notice. She's a very good friend of mine. We went to uni together. Yeah. And she would have been a great Joe. She was fantastic. Yeah. Super feisty and like she's got Strong. a lot of spunk on stage. Yeah, and she does. Yeah, she was great. But I think she had something like 48 hours notice <sighs> to, to learn the show. She's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So that was incredible. Yeah. But yes, that's I mostly just remember that that was such a big thing. That's huge. Yeah. So I think the I think the main performer, the girl who was playing Joe, I don't know her name, had gotten like laryngitis, like had gotten really sick. Oh, no. Mm. Jeez, yeah. that is not the call you want. You don't want someone to call you and be like, can you go on as Joe March tomorrow? Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. stress. Yeah. Oh, that's my creaky chair. Ooh, Ooh. lovely. Ruth, what have you got to tell me well, about? Well, the, uh, the connection between our shows today is easy. Is there a connection? Because mine is Little <gasps> Shop of Horrors. Oh, Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. Little Shop, Little Shop of Horrors. So... Little Shop of Horrors, I have just always loved this show. Yeah. I can't even tell you when I probably first heard it or listened to it Maybe or you were just bo- you were, It was in yeah. your consciousness when you were it born. It is just banger after banger. Correct. And, and such a fun show. And what I sort of realised in like re-looking at it this week is it's such a modern sound considering it's, it's almost 40 years old now, this show. Yeah. And it's really modern. And I just, I can't even tell you what it is, but it's so fun and the music's great. And I it's just love cool it. It's a cool story. It's a great show. It's, yeah. Yeah. So Little Shop of Horrors, music by Alan Menken, lyrics and, and book by Howard Ashman, uh, who I'll a talk about a little bit more. duo. Yes. Very famous duo who obviously, obviously went on to like, composed for many Disney things together yeah. and I'll talk about them a bit. So uh, story-wise, Seymour Krellborn uh, is our protagonist. He lives and works What's on What's his last name, sorry? Krellborn. Jeez, that's Krellborn. Seymour Krellborn. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, he lives and works on a sort of unidentified urban skid row um, and he is like a hapless flower shop worker. He's in love with his co-worker Audrey and – 
he wishes that she would leave her abusive dentist boyfriend. Um, Seymour has sort of come upon a Venus flytrap, a rare and unusual plant, as they say in the in the show, and he names the plant Audrey 2 after Audrey and unfortunately discovers that Audrey 2 only seems to be able to thrive when fed human blood. Mm. Um, and But basically, like, Audrey 2 becomes this huge sensation and, you know, makes the flower shop and Seymour incredibly successful and famous and, like, Audrey falls in love with him and all this but of course in the meantime Audrey 2 constantly wants more food blood and Audrey 2 is also a character in the show like yeah. someone plays Audrey 2 um in the end uh spoiler alert uh, basically everyone dies I love that either being fed to or being killed by Audrey 2 um and basically as the show finishes you know we're sort of it's this sort of sci-fi ending where we're told that there's hundreds of little Audrey 2s all around the world. Yeah, Yeah. it's like the end of War of the Worlds. Yeah, Yeah. it's like such a sort of great schlocky sci-fi thing. So it's loosely based on the non-musical 1960 film, which is like a cult classic directed by Roger Corman. um, And it kind of famously features Jack Nicholson in his screen debut in a tiny cameo part as a sadomasochistic dental patient. That's so specific. Yeah, like it's so random. It's this tiny part and it's Jack Nicholson. It was his first film. So this the the musical um, opened on May 6th, 1982, off, off Broadway. Um, and it moved off Broadway on July 27th, 1982 at the Orpheum Theatre and it ran for five years off Broadway. Like it was a wow. massive run, closed on November 1st, 1987. Jeez. Um, there's then the, the film version is made and I have to say I rewatched the film this week and it is such a good film. It holds up, doesn't it? It really holds yes. up. And there has been, I mean, we've talked a lot about movie musicals recently. There has been some disappointing music, movie musicals yeah, over the years. this is not one of them. It is so good and it holds up and yeah. honestly, go out and watch it. Um, I would say after Fiddler, this is maybe my favourite. It's like, I, like, I mean, I think that there are different ways in which you can quantify what a good movie musical yes. is. Yeah. I think that, um, yeah, it's hard for me with some of those older classic ones, A, because I haven't seen a lot of them, <laughs> but B, I think because I sort of knew the movie before I knew the show yeah. and so I consider them to be quite good generally. Well, but I think like with Little Shop, it's more like they make it a movie. Yeah. It's, 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 it doesn't feel like a musical. Well, the funny thing is though, Yes, in, in a way. Mm. They make it a movie, but also he doesn't shy away from stuff like um, them singing directly at the screen, yeah. for example, things like that. So there are elements that are so musical theatre. Yeah, so theatre. Yeah. yeah, and yet it is also like a really great film. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. So the, the movie, of course, stars um, Rick Moranis and Ellen Green. Ellen Green was the original Audrey in the show. It should be Audrey forever. <laughs> and, um, and she was uh, in the film as well. Um, she's a perfect Audrey. Yeah, she's so good. And it's directed by Frank Oz, who, of course, very closely worked with Jim Henson, yeah. uh, was a big part of um, that and the whole Muppets, you know, world. And uh, so, of course, the fact that there's puppetry, so like Audrey 2 is a puppet mm. in the show, the fact that there's obviously a massive puppet in the movie was perfect for Frank Oz to be involved. Totally. And I think it's a real, again, I think we recently talked about how there's been so many terrible directors chosen that for these sense. movie musicals, but Frank Oz is like perfect yes. for this show. Yeah, so, he makes sense. Yeah. What's interesting about the film, of course, is that the ending is is like very different than the musical. Yeah, it's almost like they just couldn't. So they filmed the same ending really? as the show. Yeah, they filmed 
where basically everyone dies. Yeah. Um, but what happened was they did some test screenings and people really reacted to it quite badly. Like it. And so they made it, I guess, a bit more of a Hollywood ending where um, Audrey and Seymour survive. <laughs> there's still kind of this hint of um, there's like a little Audrey too in their garden yeah, right. growing like at the end when they're, they're off in their little house like she describes. In, I think um, I must have blocked out the screened. fact that they survive. Yeah. Because in my head, like, everyone just dies. Yeah. It's – um. so, yeah. So the the movie is um slightly different in that sense. And you – but I think they've then since released, like, a director's cut version With of the original, original ending. Nice. So you can sort of see both in different ways. So in 2003, it made its Broadway debut. So until then, it hadn't been on Broadway. Yeah, It right. had only been off-Broadway. That's a travesty. Yeah. Although, um, yeah, I'll talk more about that. But it's interesting because, like, it's that thing of, like, do some shows – belong on Broadway to some – should some shows just be in smaller theatres off-Broadway? Oh, that's Retain fair. their original character. Yeah. So um, interestingly with this production, it had done an out-of-town tryout in Florida with Alice Ripley as Audrey and Billy Porter as Audrey too. But basically – that production was like scrap. So that was the production that was planning for Broadway. And oh, then the producers Ripley, would she just not be as, a bit old for Ellen? Not in 2003. Oh, yeah, that's Yeah, fair. for Ellen, for Audrey. Sorry. You just, you, it's all Ellen, Ellen Green in your mind, yeah. <laughs> um, and so the director was replaced um, and they brought Ooh. in Jerry Sachs and basically the entire cast except for Hunter Foster, he's our other connection. Hunter Foster is Sutton Foster's brother. Oh, yeah. Played Seymour in this Broadway That's revival. That's cool. That's really cool. Um, so everyone but him in terms of the cast were fired and just he was um, retained. That's pretty rough. Yeah, and the director was replaced. Oof. And so Kerry Butler played Audrey too instead. Instead um, of Billy Porter. Sorry? Instead no, of- uh, sorry. Audrey, so she played Audrey 1, not Audrey 2, <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> Carrie Butler played Audrey. Yeah, okay. And um, so it ran for almost exactly a year but failed to recoup its investment, mm-hmm. so considered a financial um, Flop. not success, yeah. In 2015 it was presented at Encores. So Encores, um, for those who don't know, is this kind of concert series that they do and they normally do like about three shows a year, I think, mm, and yeah. it's like a week's worth of concerts, generally of a show that is um, like – they want to bring attention to again, like an old show. Yeah, like maybe culturally significant. Yeah, or or whatever. And it's like – and there's been some really great productions over the years. I've only been to one which was 1776. They did a few years ago. Yeah, I'd never seen it or listened to it and I really enjoyed it. Um, And, uh, yeah, and so what's actually happened, like Chicago, the current revival of Chicago that's on Broadway was an encore's concert that was so – everyone just thought it was so great because, of course, the original Chicago flopped. Yes. And then this is the version. So this revival that's I think a lot of people wonder why that version of Chicago is so kind of bare bones because it um, started as a concert like, yeah the band is on stage and there's yeah. very little like set and everything yeah it's because it was a concert version that they just they are like hustled to get to Broadway it was the encores version that's cool yeah so um they did it at encores and I wish I had seen this from all accounts it was such a special yeah. thing but so Ellen Green played Audrey again she was 64 <laughs> and she did it in 2015 because <laughs> so also she played she did um Audrey at Hey Mr. Producer. Yes, the Hey Mr. Producer concert that we love, <laughs> yes, which is worth watching. I'm sure there's clips of her doing that on YouTube. Yes, there is. Um, and Jake Gyllenhaal was Seymour. Nice. Because, of course, I think we probably talked about this in the Sunday in the Park episode, but Jake Gyllenhaal is like a massive musical theatre nerd. Yeah, he's a proper nerd. Yeah, he's like a proper musical I mean, you musical don't play George in Sunday in the Park with George and not no, be a nerd. No, exactly. <laughs> and he just, I just love that he loves musical theatre. I just, yeah. that makes him. Because also he's 
quite delicious. Indeed he is. Like that <laughs> it just is so endearing to me. I love um, the idea of being Ellen Green and just being able to play opposite Jake Gyllenhaal. Right? What and the apparently hell? they had like incredible chemistry. Well, I mean, it, yeah. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I saw it at the Hayes Theatre in Sydney, which I think we've talked about before. is kind of like our little Sydney off-Broadway space. That was in 2016. And that production then toured, did a little professional tour around Australia. Um, and what I loved about that production, so Brent Hill, who played Seymour, was also the voice of Audrey too. Actually, I've read that some productions do this. Really? I had yeah. never heard of that before. Because well, I was looking at actually doing this as a high school, like a musical at my yeah. school, and I was looking at different ways you can approach Audrey. And yeah. it was suggested like when you read up the rights, you can, like it's a suggested Interesting. thing. So they had like an actor that still was the voice, because sometimes um, Seymour and Audrey too sing together, yes. like in Feed Me and different songs. If you have like... Audrey too, as a person, like as an actor. Yes. Yeah. And so in those cases, um, in those cases, like they still had someone who was the singing voice of Audrey too. sometimes. Yeah, like if right. they had to sing together, then this person would sing. Yeah. But otherwise he sang both parts. Wow, that's and it was cool. like Audrey too. the character was like in Seymour's in mind. Yeah. yeah. And it was a really great layer to add to the production. That's cool. I that's really, really cool. appreciated it. Yeah. Um, so then the two, there was an off-Broadway revival last year that was still running when COVID hit. So oh, hopefully wow. we'll start back up. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and so the, so the original cast of that off-Broadway revival was Jonathan Groff as Seymour and Christian Ball as uh, the dentist. Christian Ball. Um, and in fact, what was great was was uh, um, Christian Ball literally plays. So, like, this cast is basically there's Audrey 2. That's another connection with Sutton Foster there, right? Yes, they used to be married. Yeah, they used to be married. Um, so, like, Jonathan Groff was um, Seymour. There was someone playing Mr. Mushnick who runs the flower shop. There was an there was Audrey. There was Audrey 2. There's the three urchins, um, the, the street urchins, the girls, and then – Literally, Christian Ball played every single other character oh, in the wow, show. Really? So the dentist mostly is his big character, but like all the, all the other characters that come in are like, oh, what a strange and unusual plant. Like all that stuff was all Christian Ball. Like ensemble members. That's like, delightful. Like the homeless man in the ensemble. He was everything. And yeah. I very much like that. Yeah. And so, um, but like Jonathan Groff had left and Jeremy Jordan was playing Seymour when it stopped performances um, for COVID. I, Okay. So even Jonathan Groff, I think, is a bit of a stretch for Seymour, but definitely Jeremy Jordan so, is a stretch. I'm about to say something that I think Please. you'll agree with. There was an article that came out after Jeremy Jordan was announced that was basically campaigning that no more hot people play Seymour. 100%. Yeah, so it was just basically like leave that character part to yes. people. Who... But like I've even seen pictures of, say, Jake Gyllenhaal doing it. Like you can't just put glasses on someone yeah. and expect that they are suddenly not attractive. <laughs> suddenly like, they have to, yeah, it's like, you, I know, it's not so funny. The whole point of Seymour is anyway. Yeah. Jonathan Groff, he was good. I saw it last year. It, it was like very kind of. He, he is quite, like quite like, handsome. Yeah, he is handsome. This is the thing. Yeah. Um, and their argument was like, you, it's a stretch with Jonathan Groff, but like yes. they appreciated it. But, but they were Jordan like, Jeremy Jordan has like, like chiseled jaw. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's so hot. He's very pretty. <laughs> yeah. But also, like, there there are roles that are meant for unattractive people. Let yeah. them have their roles. That's like, right. Ugh. Um. And so another film has been announced. Oh, um, cool. So Billy Porter will be playing Audrey too. Finally gets his finally shot to play Audrey too. Um, they, there's like, and then the, he's been announced, like he's attached to it. And then these are just kind of like the rumored people who might be playing the other parts. But Chris Evans as the dentist, like Captain America, oh, yeah. Chris Evans. Yep. Um, Scarlett Johansson as Audrey. Hmm. Do you like her? I don't know her. Scarlett Johansson. Well, like I don't know her. Oh, okay, you know yeah. I mean? Sure. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't know if she can. I think I have heard her sing in other things. We'll what see. What did she sing in? Um, a, a Woody Allen film, I think. I oh, feel like dude. in my head there's a Woody Allen film that she Fuck sings you, in. Fuck you, Woody Allen. Yeah, yeah, you can – let's not say his name. Um, and Taron Egerton as Seymour. Who oh, I, I do, like Taron Egerton. I like Taron Egerton a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so a uh, couple of fun facts. This is a case of – there aren't many of these, but shows that went from movie – to musical, to movie musical. Yes. Yeah. So I wanted to just list off some of those. Oh, please. Can you think of any off the top of your head? Oh, God. Movie to musical to movie so musical. So there's like six in total. Are they really obvious? There's a few obvious ones. Oh, no. There's, I would say two that I was like, oh, yeah, definitely those. So yeah. the, pro- the producers. Oh, is of course, really, the producers. Yeah. And Hairspray. I would say those, are, in my head of modern shows, those are the two most obvious is ones. Is The Wizard of Oz one as well? But no, it hasn't got a movie musical, does it? Not since, no. Not since, and no, yeah. And then right. the movie well, is the already movie is a musical, sort of, right? But then they added extra songs for the. Yeah. True, yeah. Um, so I'm talking about like non musical films. Complete, yeah, yeah. And that they have adapted into stage shows as and musicals then and then a made a, mu- a movie of the, of the stage musical. It's a very niche category. It is. So okay, ready. The other ones are nine. Yes, nine. Yeah, yeah it was, of course, a, it's a Zeffirelli film. Yes, yeah, and then a terrible and a movie musical. Yes, not not a good one. Which but is I quite like the musical. Yeah, I, I haven't never seen the show. I've right. only seen the film. Yeah. Um, a little night music was um, yes, based on a film, and then made which you'll be a, hearing about later. Ooh, uh, and then made into a musical. And Sweet Charity is the other one. Was, was Sweet yeah, Charity based a, on a film? I don't know the original it's, film. It's also, I, again, I'm gonna. It's like an Italian director, yes, like okay. a like a classic Italian, right? Yeah. Wow. I can't think of the name of the film, but okay. yes, it's like one of those. So that is cool. Yeah, I like that a lot. So yeah, same with this. Yeah, that's um, awesome. I really loved this. So apparently, for the film, they couldn't make it look realistic for the Audrey Two puppet to be lip syncing, like when it's singing mm. at 24 frames per second. <laughs> so basically, any song in the film that you see that has the puppet and another actor singing was actually filmed at about half that speed oh, really? and then sped up so that it looks. And so they, I like the that. actors are lip syncing in slow motion. <gasps> So like the music has already been recorded, like their singing parts have already been recorded, and they are doing it in they are lip syncing to it in slow motion when they filmed it. Wow, isn't that amazing? That's also like excellent attention to detail, right? Yeah, yeah. love that. Because um, I think like if I think of Chris Columbus in Rent, he would not have gone to that level of, <laughs> of trouble to yeah. make it work. Um, so yeah, we talked about Audrey too being a puppet, and actually they give you some quite like I don't know if you found this when you were researching it, but they give you some quite specific guidelines as yeah, to how to do specific. the puppet. Yeah, yeah. So it's like a sm- obviously a small puppet that gets bigger as it goes along. Yes. And like the second puppet has um, – it's like an arm puppet that the character playing Seymour, um, you know, operates. operates. Yeah. And then like it goes on to be a much bigger puppet. And they even give you like designs for you to make yes, it. Yes, they do. If you license they do. the show. It's actually quite full on. Like that's one of the reasons. Obviously it's a small cast so that was one of the reasons yeah. why I didn't do it. But also the puppet is quite a daunting undertaking. Yeah. <laughs> you need like a really good like group of like, oh, I don't yeah. know, woodworking kids or yeah, whatever. Like- not yeah, really, anyway. Yeah. Um, Not high kids. school boys. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the other thing that I love, of course, is that, so, you know, as I said, Alan Menken and Howard Ashman went on to write for a lot of these Disney films. And what a lot of people notice is that they obviously wrote the music for The Little Mermaid, the yeah. film, and that part of your world from The Little Mermaid and Somewhere That's Green from Little Shop of Horrors are basically the same song. Yeah, they are. To the point where apparently like on the set of The Little Mermaid, they used to call um, part of your world Somewhere That's Wet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. It's I, even like placed at the same 
same part of the show. Yes, like it's, it's the I it's want the song, I want song in both cases, yeah, yeah. and like like thematically and everything, it's almost exactly the same song. Yeah. And then I also love that, like, so Book of Mormon obviously has a lot of musical homages to other yes. shows. So Salt Salt Lake City yes. from Book of Mormon, Salt Lake City, is um is then an homage to those songs. So if like yeah. you then listen to that, like all three of those songs basically the same song. I just Amazing. Love that. Yeah. I love that. Um, so just a couple of talking points. I just want to like highlight. So Howard Ashman, who wrote the book and the lyrics, um, and he was actually the director of the original production. Mm. Um, he died in 1990 at the age of 40 of AIDS. And um, it's like such a tragic death that, is tragic. Um, that he would have just – everyone who knew him just talked about what a talent he was. And obviously yeah. he still accomplished a lot in his short life. But, but that's so young. It's just for, for that um, disease to have taken him at such a young age when he had so much left to contribute to the world with yeah. his art. It's just such a sad thing, especially at the moment when we're also going through, you know, essentially another plague. Yeah. And it's just that these artists that we lose at times like this, it's just awful. So um, if you don't know him, uh, you probably actually know a lot of what he contributed to that you love, Um, you know, specifically, like I said, Little Mermaid, Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, the Disney film Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin. And it's just, yeah, he would have given this world so much more had he not died so young. So read up about Howard Ashman. He was an incredible artist. Um, Definitely worth looking into. Um, The other thing I wanted to mention is that – uh, like a funny little thing that happens sometimes is that because it played off Broadway originally and then it didn't premiere on Broadway in 2003, it's never been eligible for the best new musical or best score Tony oh, award. So what they do is the rule is that if it's like, if a show has had like an extensive professional life elsewhere, mm-hmm. um, but hasn't played Broadway, it's still considered a revival, even when it like eventually it, makes even it. Even though this would be the first yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and yeah. so, um, the rule has changed slightly um, in 2014 after that season featured both the uh, first time that Hedwig and the Angry Inch had been on Broadway mm. and also the show Violet, which featured yep. Sutton Foster, um, a Janine Tesori show, um, because they were, they were both on Broadway for the first time having previously been off-Broadway. Um, and the reason that it changed is that so previously, like, if you won Best Revival, the winners that actually got the award were just the producers of mm. the, of the revival. Rather like, than not the, the composers. Yes, yeah. the writers weren't part of the award. Mm. So they changed it after that year because, for example, Hedwig won Best Revival, but, like, John Cameron Mitchell doesn't get a Tony. Yeah, how even is that? though Yeah, yeah. like. This is even the first it time it's been... being recognised. Yes. Exactly. So I think they realised it was a bit um, silly for that reason. So. Um, yeah, previously it was only given to the Bridges, but now if a revival um, wins Best Tony, it's also given to the writers. That's um, great. They still aren't eligible for Best Book or Best Score, but it means that there's something that is given kind yeah. of thing. So, I mean, in this case, in that revival, I think they got nominated, like Hunter Foster got nominated, but that was it. It, yeah. didn't, even, it didn't even get nominated for Best Revival Jeez. that year. So, Considering it's such a popular musical yeah like like when you think about say how enduring or how many tony's other more obscure musicals of one yeah and then this musical that everyone knows i know there's a little shop and i think like um as i talk about the gateway songs and the cast recordings that are available it sort of leads me to my last discussion point which is um about that particular revival and whether or not i think you know, it's the version that you should listen to compared to ah, others. Yes. So for me, the gateway songs are um, Somewhere That's Green. 
Definitely. Um, it's like such a great song. Again, a great character song if you are learning um, to sing or whatever. Like yeah. it's it's not, not a, it's a not big a hard range. Song. Right? No, it's not yeah. a big range. I think um, it's literally like an octave. Yeah, it's not much and you can have a great, like especially if you want to do a good character voice with it. Yeah. It's a great song to sing. Suddenly Seymour is their big love duet. I mean, just such a great duet. Oh, that song. Um, and then I would say Feed Me um, is the – First, when Audrey too sort of first sings, um, is uh, you know the plant song with, uh, and Audrey too is obviously plays by a man generally, by the yes, way. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Skid Row is is like uh, after the prologue is the opening song, yeah. and it's just a great opening number. Great number. Um, and yeah, so those are my sort of four gateway songs. Interestingly, I I basically picked like a version from each of the. There's four oh, cool. recordings available on Spotify. So you picked sort of the best sort one of, from each. Yeah, I sort yeah. of picked one from each. Um, and so those four recordings are they like an original cast recording of when it was done off Broadway in the 80s. Then there's the film soundtrack. Yeah. Then there's the 2000 three Broadway recording and then there's the 2019 off-Broadway revival recording. All four of those are available on Spotify Um, and they all have pluses. It just really depends on how you perceive the show. So um, a lot of people, like you talk to a lot of people who are like, I can't stand Ellen Green. Like she's so kind of. And you should shut up. Yeah. Yeah. And like, (laughs) yes, egg shaker. Ellen Green is. Because she's so. it's such a character. Like it's such, such an out there character choice. And She's really made such a choice with her voice. Yes. And yeah. there's so many things. And I think a lot of people really don't like that. So like if you're that person, you're incorrect. Yeah. But if you are that person, then go and listen to the 2003 Broadway revival, which And also many... take a long, hard look at yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so what a lot of people criticised about the revival was that it was just like this like shiny, smooth, sanitised version of this show. So it was just catering to the people who didn't like Ellen Green. Well, not just Ellen Green, but just the show in general. It was yeah. like, let's make this palatable for like, you know, because the, the yeah. original is so like kind of grimy. And, it is. You yeah. know, like, it, like so wacky and out there. Yeah. And, and Let's was, make Seymour handsome. And, and yeah. interestingly, no, well, interestingly, I would say the off-Broadway revival has reverted back, which is why they did it off-Broadway, I believe. Because yeah, nice. obviously that cast would normally be in a Broadway. Well, yeah. Um, and I, I, I'm sorry, I don't have the name written down of the woman who's playing it on Broadway. Playing um, Oh, sorry, off-Broadway, playing Audrey. But I also heard a lot of criticisms of her that she was vocally not up to the part. Um, again, her character was really great. And she was. it was very dark when I saw it. It was almost like you imagined Audrey being a heroin addict. Like it was very kind of. Which is sort of like. like very vulnerable. Like she's so vulnerable. This is the point. Is. And well, she's but, abused. But what I will say is that there was times when I was like is she going to hit this note like oh. because it was so kind of raw and her name is Tammy Blanchard yeah so I think she's even got a Tony nomination I, I know that she's name had a succeed revival if I remember correctly oh so she was in that television film Life with Judy Garland oh I haven't seen that she won like a Golden Globe Primetime Emmy wow oh she was in Into the Woods the revival no the film Oh, who was she? I don't know. I'm just trying to figure um, out. She's also – she was Louise in Gypsy. Yes, that's right. I had read that. Hmm. But, yeah, so that was really interesting because, like, her portrayal was – Oh, she was Florinda. Okay. One of the in the, okay, right, yeah. yeah. Um, and she's great actress. Clearly a great actress, like yeah. great character actress. It's just that, yeah, there were times – and you can even hear it a little bit listening to the cast recording. Right. Um, I think that that role would be really tough to take because Ellen Green has re- – like, like she's just made it her role. Exactly. Um, that would be tough. Yeah. And so, yeah, I ended up sort of picking one from each. I think I did um, for – 
this current one, I think I did Skid Row. Yeah, nice. Um, for the film, I did Feed Me. The guy who voices um, Audrey 2 in the film, Levi Stubbs, was the lead singer of The Four Tops. Yeah. The, like, He's got a great Motown. voice. Motown. Yeah. yeah. Um, fantastic voice. Yeah. Yeah, really just quite unique and incredible. Yeah. Um, and, of course, you can't go past um, Ellen Green singing Somewhere That's Green. Did you, in the original. are you going to link to, are you going to tell the people about the Adam Pascal, Mandy Moore Oh, atrocity? I've forgotten about that. <laughs> I can't even remember how we discovered that. I feel like maybe we just had a Google alert set up for suddenly Seymour. <laughs> or Adam Pascal, or either Adam Pascal, of the two. Yeah. Certainly not Mandy Moore. And it was on some TV show, wasn't it? It was almost like it was like a live performance somewhere but it was like on the today show or yeah. somewhere and of course like mandy moore pop you know pop star mandy moore yeah so it's a it's suddenly seymour but with adam pascal beautiful adam pascal and mandy moore and it's a train it's a proper fiasco it is it's a train wreck and i wouldn't say like it's not like mandy moore can't sing no and also adam pascal's amazing yeah and it is so bad it's i don't really know if bad. it was like they really couldn't hear themselves or something know, was like going they didn't on. rehearse or like something it happened. is a it is a mess if you want to see a train wreck yeah go listen to that yeah it's, i would say it's on par with jordan and peter andre singing a whole new world oh also, find the unpitch corrected version oh of A Whole New World. Such a it good video. It is amazing. Video. Yeah, yeah. It is amazing. Uh, yeah, so that's Little Shop of Horrors. That was nice. Thank you. I'm actually inspired to go watch the film again. Definitely watch the film. It's so great. Everyone should watch the film. And I'm going to watch that documentary, Broadway Idiot. Broadway Idiot. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Excellent. Great. Nice. Uh, are you doing anything this week? No. Still Is it, is it your birthday soon? Oh, it is my birthday soon. So when this episode comes out, it won't. Be your birthday soon. It will have been your birthday. Yeah. But I'm excited for I'll your be birthday. 33. <gasps> so old. So old. Yeah. Anyway, that'll be fun. Yeah. Yay. All right. Uh, please go rate us. Tell your friends. Yes. Please tell your friends. Yeah. Please tell people that we don't know. That's it. Like, Especially if you're a person that we don't know. Yeah. If we don't know you, please help us out. Yeah. Because <laughs> our friends are lovely, but they're just they're just sharing it back to us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, okay. I'll see you next week, Josephine. I'll see you next week, Ruth. Bye. Bye. Bye.